The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. It's a privilege to be able to come and speak, and uh, as Dan was able to take a, a vacation, a post-Easter break, which was well-deserved, um, putting on my ruling elder hat, I would want to encourage us all um, as members of this church to be in constant prayer for Pastor Dan, also for, for Chad as well. Uh, I think anytime you see someone new here, you're reminded, well, that's, that's unusual. Dan's not up there. Um, take that moment just to pray specially for him. I, I've been a pastor. I, I know the burden uh, that he has in preaching faithfully the Word of God to us, uh, to share the gospel. There are many things that are unpleasant that need to be said that he does say to us. It can be wearing, and uh, there's a lot of good things happening in our church. And we need prayer uh, for it to continue on. Um, So continue to lift him and chat up in prayer. Uh, That's okay. I guess I'm still preaching. I'm still a ruling elder when I preach. But I just felt like we needed that that encouragement. This week is... uh, I was uh, doing my regular duties at school, preparing for a sermon. Um, Chris had the Chris Steinbarger had the most of the week off because they went and had a baby. Actually, it's uh, James very cute. I remember there used to be two Steinbargers. Now there's then there was four Steinbargers. Now there's five Steinbargers. There's going to be a sixth soon, right? They're taking over. But this week, it, it came another opportunity for me to realize what an idiot I am. I come and uh, usually in the morning, I get up, I get dressed, I'm get, getting uh, on with my day. My wonderful wife, she makes my lunch for me. I know, it's cool. And uh, here I am, I'm, I'm heading off to work and I look and there's my lunch sitting there on the table. And again, I'm an idiot. And, and it's not in my my bag that I usually take it in. It's got the, uh, you know, so it holds things cold if it's cold or warm if it's warm. And I must have looked at it like, like where, where's my bag? And and my wife says to me, um, you, you must have forgot it at, at school. No, I, I was certain that I had remembered it. You know, I, I remembered specifically putting the Tupperware back into it I know I must have brought it home. So what do I do? I start looking where it's supposed to be. And of course, I've, I've, how long have we been married? 20-some years. I still haven't learned this. She's right. I, 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 leave, I, get a, I get a plastic sack. I put it in there. I'm still kind of in my mind thinking, I know I remembered it. I, it must be home somewhere. It's misplaced. And, of course, I get to school, and there sitting on my desk is my, which I remembered to put the old Tupperware in. It's just sitting there on my desk. didn't do me any good. I forget things all the time. I think I remember. I, I don't. In fact, it, it brought back memories of my childhood. Every morning we had a system. I would, we had five people in a one-bathroom one house. And so every morning in, uh, to go to school, there was an order. You know, I, I had to get up. And what I did was I woke up, and the first thing I did was eat breakfast, which is probably no surprise to you. I, 
That's, that's the thing I like to do. I ate breakfast. Then I was able to get in the shower, take my shower, get dressed. And then on my way out the door, I would go through the kitchen to pick up my lunch, open the door, and walk out. And, of course, my mom would always say the last thing. Ronnie, did you remember your lunch? Well, yeah, of course I remembered my lunch. It's right here. I, I, but every day she'd ask me that question. Did you remember your lunch? Yes, yes. Except for those times when I forgot. I, you know, there's a reason why she's reminding me all the time. is because I forget. What I had was this nice little ritual. And as long as I followed the ritual, I always remembered. I would go into the kitchen, open it up, grab my lunch, and I'd go. What would mess me up is if my brother was doing something to me, which made me have to go hit him or something. And, you know, we'd have to wrestle and finish it out in the, in the living room. Instead of going through the kitchen, I've made a detour. And, and for some reason, just that little thing, getting me off of my routine, off of my ritual, I would forget. And, of course, I get home. Oh, I forgot my lunch. Teacher calls home. Guess what mom does? Brings me my lunch because she loves me. But we forget often. And, and it is no wonder that throughout Scripture, God calls us to remember. Remember this. Remember this. In fact, what He does is He sets up for us rituals by which we can remember. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to wander. We need to remember. And in the scripture today that I'll be reading for, for us here in Exodus 13, I see that the main purpose here is this, that God is trying to set up for the people who did not experience the Passover, they did not experience the Exodus, the future generations would by ritual remember what God had done, who that God is, and, and what I want to emphasize today is that they would remember who they are. They would remember who they are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Your word calls us to yourself. Your word teaches us who we are. It teaches us who we are without you. But more importantly, it teaches us who we are with you. And I pray, God, then as we read and as your word is proclaimed, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say to us. I pray, God, most especially that in Jesus Christ, we would remember who we are today. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. And I don't know, yeah, 55 on the Red Bible, 107 in the Children's Bible. I remembered. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All of the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or, if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in, when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This might have sounded familiar. In fact, if you have been following uh, the Exodus sermon series, um, chapter 12, it, it, it sounds almost like a repeat. And what happens in the, the book is, or in this section from starting with the beginning of chapter 12, is that God first speaks to Moses about the importance of the firstborn, about the preservation of the firstborn by means of this Passover God is going to send the death angel to pass over the land, and the firstborn of everyone, of the sons of, of anyone in Egypt and their animals, is going to die unless you sacrifice the lamb and put the blood over the doorposts. Then the Lord would pass over, and the, the son would be preserved. And... And so this instruction is given to Moses, and then there's the instruction, too, for the unleavened bread. 
that for, for a week after, you're, you're not supposed to have leavened and leavened bread. And then we have Moses instructing the people about what's going to happen. And then the Passover happens and the Exodus happens. And then God says to Moses again that this needs to be a memorial for forever. So you hear about the Passover, you hear about the you hear about the firstborn, you hear about the unleavened bread, and then you hear about the Passover again, and then now you hear about the consecration of the firstborn again, and of course then the, the feast of unleavened bread. It's kind of chiastic. But the beginning were instructions and then the actual carrying out, and now this last part is God instructing the people, or Moses instructing the people, about how this is supposed to be an ordinance commemorating these events forever. Why? So the generations in the future who didn't experience it then, that experience will be made real to them in the future. That experience will be made real to them in the future. So the firstborn, and I know Dan's talked about this, is is the representative. The firstborn represents the future. It represents the family. It represents everything. So in in Egypt, not only had the Israelites sinned against God by following the idols of the Egyptians, the Egyptians were also sinning through idolatry, but also in their treatment of, of God's people. Everyone there deserved death. But what God did was he redeemed his people. He redeemed the first born of Israel by means of substitution. The lamb was slain and his blood the blood was spread so that the firstborn of Israel would be redeemed. They were bought with a price, the blood of that lamb. They were gods. The Egyptians who did not do this, their firstborn died as a representative of the whole land. In a sense, God was merciful not only to the Israelites, but he was merciful to the Egyptians. God had other plans for the Egyptians and did not wipe them out. So what God is now saying is is that because Israel itself is God's own firstborn and has redeemed them, He wants to put into practice this idea of redeeming the firstborn so that every time a son is born into a household, as we see in the the, uh, later verses, they would be consecrated to the Lord's and and redeemed by the blood of a lamb, just like the original people who experienced the Passover. So because they didn't experience it then, They're experiencing it later in generations to come. They understand they have been bought. They understand that they are redeemed. They understand that they, as a people, are God's firstborn. We read this in Exodus chapter 4. Even before this all started, God says, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. 
Israel was redeemed by sacrifice, by the blood of a lamb. We understand now, too, that the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, has redeemed us. We, by faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross, are God's children. We are his firstborn. Two weeks ago, Dan talked about the Passover and talked about how the Passover has been fulfilled and completed in Christ and his institution of the Lord's Supper. We are God's children, and we are invited weekly to his table. For what purpose? It's to make real to us what Christ has done. To make real to us what Christ has done. None of us were in that room with Jesus. None of us were there to witness his death on the cross. But we can participate in his sacrifice as we come to the table. And we remember at the table what he has done for us. But we also remember who we are. My family growing up was not perfect. My older brother will admit to you that he was a bit of a, he was a jerk, just put it that way. He is not anymore, thanks be to God. He is a great guy. I love my brother. But it was a love-hate relationship as a child. And I recall at times when we as brothers would fight, and even worse, when my brother and my parents would fight. And it was not good. It was always unpleasant. It was, it was horrifying. The, the worst I remembered once is my brother, who was a bit lot... I'm the little brother. My, my brother, who was about 6'5 and about 250 pounds, I think, in high school, um, I, I recall at one time challenging um, my mom in something, and it started up a little bit of ruckus. My dad had enough. He walked into the room and uh, began to admonish my brother, my dad, who is all six foot tall, 160 pounds. And my brother stands up before him and gives him this look like, what are you going to do about it? My dad grabbed him, put him against the wall, veins sticking out of my dad's neck and head. My brother and I, my younger brother and I, remember looking at it like, we looked at each other. Big smiles appeared on our face. But I remember the horrified look of my brother. And my dad left, let him down, and he ran. And he left our house. And it was the scariest thing at that moment. Because here's our family, and my, this conflict seemed much bigger than anything that's ever gone, and my brother left. And I remembered the conversation in the kitchen with my mom and my dad, kind of overhearing, like, what should be done? And so my dad says, let's give him some time to cool off, and if he's not back, we're gonna, we'll call around. In other words, my, to my relief, my parents' plan was is to go find him and bring him back. And as the day progressed and he didn't come back, my parents got on the phone and started calling some friends. 
And sure enough, they heard that he was over at 7-Eleven playing video games. My dad went and left. And a little while later, they pulled in. And my brother was back in time for dinner. And my brother and my family, we all sat at the table to eat. They've been reconciled and we're sitting at the table because we're family. We're family. I I can't I can't tell you and well you probably know how powerful that is to know that you belong. It tells you who you are. He was part of that family and we ate together after that reconciliation I don't know what we ate even though I was happy that my brother got busted I mean to be honest with you it was still it was wonderful to eat together God's Passover and and his the ritual then of us remembering and being invited week after week to the Lord's table in part, tells us who we are. God's redeemed you. By the blood of Jesus, you have been redeemed, and you are His firstborn. Together, we're His family, and we're invited to His table to remember. To remember. I hope that wasn't important. But God's purposes weren't just to remind us of who we are, but he also wants to remind us who we were. To remind us who we were. You, you notice in the, in the scriptures that we, we had read, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Later on. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Over and over again throughout Scripture, the people of God in Israel are reminded, you were once slaves, but now you're free. You were once slaves who served Pharaoh and his purposes, but now you're my people and you serve me. Over and over again. And so, one of the things, one of the purposes then of this Feast of the Unleavened Bread was that they were to remember the hardships they had in Egypt, that they were slaves. They are now sons, they are now children, but they were slaves. God says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. And part of that consecration, part of that separating was for them to remember who they used to be. What are they separated from? They were separated from slavery. And now they serve the living God. And we see in the New Testament the same pattern. Over and over again, what are we reminded of? We used to be sinners. 
slaves to sin. You used to be a slave to sin, but now you have been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been redeemed. You now serve the living God. You were slaves, but now you're free. Over and over and over again. Amen? You were slaves, but now you're free. It's so important. Sometimes when I forget, when I forget what I used to be, I have this tendency, and and you might not get this at all, it might just be me, to think somehow I'm a pretty good guy. You ever get that way? Well, I don't do those things. Look how put together my life is, how good things are for me. Completely forgetting who I was. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a position or at a part in your life where you have been struggling with sin and your main identifier right now is that all you're doing is struggling constantly, fighting sin, and feeling unworthy. The last thing you need is a big jerk like that guy who seems like he's got it all together, right? It must be easy for that guy. And to come across as if I'm better than all that is a lie, right? It's a lie. I, too, was a slave to sin and to the passions of my heart and to the lust of my flesh. I was a slave to it. I couldn't conquer it. I couldn't do anything but sin until the kindness of God came and saved me. I think over and over again, Paul especially likes to do this, is to have the people be reminded that they were slaves to sin. Even in the pastoral epistles, remind them that you too were like this. He says that to the elders. Remind them that you used to be like this. Why? Lest we think that it was on our own doing that we became righteous. Lest we somehow make it more difficult for people who are just coming to faith. We're all sinners. We were slaves to sin. We grew up in the house of slavery. But now, thanks be to God, we're free. And we're his children. And the struggle simply shows that his spirit is working in us. Look at Titus for a second. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared to us, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Heirs, a son, a child is an heir. 
that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were slaves, but now we're heirs. Amen. There's something else in this passage, especially about the unleavened bread, that has has a history. When God set this out for the people, it was primarily for them to remember the exodus of slavery from the Pharaoh. But as time passed, the people understood that God had set up um, some symbolism here. That leaven, which they are supposed to get rid of, represented sin. So the idea was that during that week, as they got rid of the leaven, they were to be reminded of their lives and the need to be sanctified, to be made righteous, to work on perhaps sin in their life. And I want us to be careful with this. I want us to see the pattern. It is absolutely correct that as children of God, we ought to live like it. And if we're children of God, we need to examine ourselves. And if there's sin in our lives, we really need to deal, deal with it. We need to repent of it. We need to, we need to be smart about things. We need to change our, the way we're living our life by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. It is true. But the pattern set out for us in Scripture is always the same. Passover came first. You were redeemed. You were a slave, now you're a son. Therefore, sanctify yourself. Therefore, cleanse yourself of sin with God's help. And the New Testament isn't the same. Isn't it the same? Every time that sin is addressed in the epistles, where where Paul's saying you need to do this or do that, it's only after... Paul has said, look at what you used to be, and now look at who you are now. It's only after he says, what God has done in your life that has changed you, that has made you into his son, then and only then does he say, now, be careful to avoid these things. Are we clear? God never says to us, take care of the sin in your life, and maybe if you're good enough, I'll make you my son. Never, never says that. Doesn't say, well, maybe if you, if you earn enough merit through doing religious things or through reading your Bible or through whatever, giving money to the poor, then if you show yourself worthy, I'll let you in. It doesn't work that way. That's not what God has done. There is nothing that we do to earn being his child. Think about it. What did you do to be your, kid, your, your, your parent's child? Right? Zach, what did you do to become my son? What, did you, what, what merit did you bring to the table that we might have you? Jake, anything? Nothing. You did nothing. Right? Nothing. But he's our kid. Look at all the stuff we do for you. <laughs> because we love you and because you're, you're our sons. Right? 
And if you acted out, I'd probably do the same thing my dad did. I'd probably go look for you, try to bring you back, because you're my kids. We understand that, don't we? We understand that up here. The hard part is understanding it here. How often we think we have to earn God's love. We have to earn somehow to be worthy to be His. But it's all grace. God decided to have mercy and redeemed you. End of story. I bring nothing into it. It's all God's plan and purpose according to His grace and His mercy. That's it. My faith, that's even a gift He gave me. I can't muster up faith. I can't muster up good feelings to do... It's, it's what God has done in my life. It's what God does in your life. We are His children, period. Now, be great if uh, some of the family resemblance kind of came out. That we become conformed more and more to the image of the Son. That's the idea, isn't it? So, we understand who we are in Christ. We need to remember it. We once were slaves, but now we're free. We once were slaves to sin, now we're his children. Now we're his children. So, what are we to do? I'm skipping some stuff, by the way. We need to remember who we are. And I think this is the big crux of the gospel and of our sanctification is remembering who you are. Let me give you a couple of illustrations from movies and then one about my life. You guys all remember Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader? They fight each other, fighting each other, right? Luke Skywalker is fighting Darth Vader. Darth Vader, Luke, I'm your father. Right? And what is Luke Skywalker doing? My father was a Jedi Knight. I hope you guys have seen this. <laughs> no. Darth Vader's the bad guy. Luke Skywalker's the good guy. Darth Vader really is his father. Ooh, I hope I didn't just ruin something there. Darth Vader really is his father, but his father used to be a Jedi before he turned evil, before he became a Sith. And Luke is there in this struggle against evil. And you might go, what's needed in this situation? Luke is being asked to be part of the dark side, and he's fighting a, a battle to the death. Darth Vader is saying, I'm your father. And Luke is saying, my father was a Jedi Knight. Now, should we come in there and give him another instruction in, you know, saber fighting, lightsaber fighting? No. Should, should he 
have a little more practice and, you know, use of the force or something. No, that's not what's needed. What's needed is, is Luke Skywalker really needs to know who he is. At that moment, he needs to know who he is. I am the son of a Jedi, and that's what I do, because my father's a Jedi and I'm a Jedi. He needs to know who he is. What was wonderful about that movie, by the way, is that Darth Vader then, in the end, remembers who he is. Right? I don't want to ruin it. He remembers who he is. He rescues his son and kills the, the bad guy. Anyway, the other one, the other clear one is Lion King. You remember that one. How many of you have seen Lion King? Okay, this row right here, you guys need to watch more movies. So in the Lion King, you have the, the Mufasa, the Lion King, and he dies. And his son Simba thinks that he's responsible for it. And so instead of becoming the king, he leaves. And he acts irresponsibly, Akuna Matata, right? Whatever, you know, he's, I forgot what it means. but No worries, thank you. I should sing the song and then I'd get it. But no worries, he's off doing his, his own thing. But there's trouble at Pride Rock, and everything's going to hell in a handbasket there and because of his uncle Scar who took the throne. And here's the spirit of Mufasa coming to Simba, and he says, oh, you got to get your act together. No, right? That's not what he says. He says to him, he says, remember who you are. Now, why are these movies so great? They're great because we all know the truth in them. That resonates with us, doesn't it? We know it's about identity. We know it is. Sometimes, sometimes, we forget who we are. We forget who we are. When I was in high school, it, towards the end of my, uh, well, 10th and 11th, beginning of 11th grade, I was not living a good life. And the winter of my, or the uh, Christmas break during my junior year, I went to a, a camp, and, and God really got a hold of my life at that time. And for whatever reason, according to God's sovereign plan, it's like, all the things I struggled with, the temptations, the lust of the flesh, the, all the stuff that I was dealing with that I could not do, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop doing, God, God, it's like God just lifted it from me. And for the last year and a half of high school, it, it was pretty easy. That sounds weird. I know that's not everyone's experience, but it was my experience. When I got into college... I went to a Christian school, and during that time, those desires that God had kind of set aside for me began to come back. And I really think that what God had done was he, he kind of eased that, those desires for me so I could get more rooted in him. But it's almost like I still had to deal with it. And so after a time, I had to de- now I had to deal with it. And I, and I struggled mightily, and I kept... I kept having a, a, a hard time with, with certain areas of my life. And I remembered going to a, I started going to a smaller church. And Don Schaff was the pastor. 
And he started to do communion where we would come forward to receive it instead of being done at, done at our, on our seat. The night before I had stumbled, I felt guilty. I, I didn't know if I should come forward or not. It was a small church. I kept struggling. Am I, if I go forward, am I going to eat and drink damnation on myself? But if I don't go up, everyone's going to see me sitting there. I was really embarrassed by it. I wasn't sure what to do. Finally, I said, God, you're just going to have to be merciful to me. And, and I went forward, and I, and I took communion. And then right afterwards, I, I was like, I don't know if I should have done that. And I was nervous. So I, I called up the pastor, and we had a little meeting and talked about, should I have gone up? Well, he asked me, he said, so why are you worried? I said, well, I've been struggling with this sin. I had succumbed to it on Saturday night. And here I am on Sunday morning, and I'm coming up for communion. And I, and I felt like I'm not worthy. He asked me, well, did you confess that sin? I said, oh, yeah. Well, I, big time. As soon as, as soon as I'd done it, I'm confessing. Are you, do you have repent? Do you want to, are you planning on keep doing this? I mean, is this real true repentance? I said, Pastor, I've been trying to not do this for a long time. I'm, I'm continually, I'm, I don't want it. I hate it. He says, do you believe you belong to God? And I said, I don't know. Because I keep struggling with this. And he says, I'll tell you what. He says, when you come to the Lord's Supper, if you've confessed your sin, if you're, if you're truly sorrowful for your sin, and, and you're, you're right with the people around you, he says, he says, if you believe these words, and he quotes Martin Luther in this, that you're worthy of coming if you believe these words, it's for you. Body and blood of Jesus is for you. If you believe that, then you should come forward. If you don't believe that, then we, we need to talk more. And I remember the next Sunday, and it's time for communion. And I know I'm still struggling, but I really felt I do belong here. I do believe that Jesus died for me. I do believe that he's his. And I came forward, and, and Pastor Don would come up, and he says to me, when it came to my turn, he goes, Ron, this is for you. And I, and it was such a great thing. Like, I do belong. And I remember eating it. Now, the, the story doesn't end there. About a year and a half later, it's the summer. I'm still in college, and I'm working a lot. I'm working about 12 hours a day, Monday through Saturday. Sunday, I had off, but occasionally I would do some work in the afternoon for extra money because I liked having money. I needed money. But over the course of the summer, it became easier and easier for me to use Sunday as a time to sleep in and to justify it as, you know, it's rest. I, I need it. Right? My co-workers, I worked at a gym. It wasn't in Los Angeles, not a very 
not a very conducive place for a good spiritual life. And when I first started, they all knew that I was a Christian. They'd invite me to do things with them after. And often I would go with them. But I would bring, I'd bring Pepsi with me and I'd drink a soda. And, you know, as time wore on, as I spent less and less time at church, more and more time with, in this unhealthy environment, and I had four roommates, two of us were, or three roommates, two of us were Christians, two of us were not, and as time was going on, my Christian roommate was acting more like a non-believer. I was, I was, I was alienating myself from them. I, I just didn't, I didn't like being there, and, and soon I began to compromise. And then I'd hear often about these wild, raging parties that they would throw, and I would never go to those. But as I began compromising, I finally said yes, and I said I'd go out with them. So I go to this party, and the first thing that happens is the gal who, she's one of the club members, unbeknownst to me, they had kind of plotted that this was going to be my day. They were going to get me drunk and do stuff to me. I didn't know this, but I walked in. I'm there. The girl's name was Lori. She comes up, and she has in her hand some Pepsi. And she goes, here you go, Ron. And I go, I go, thank you. And she goes, but wait. And she pulled out this bottle of rum, and she goes, Ron, this is for you. And it hit me right then and there. I'm in the wrong place. I don't belong here. This is not who I am. At that moment, I remembered who I was. And I left. I didn't need at that time someone to lecture me about drinking and getting drunk. I didn't need someone to lecture me about fornication or the lust of the flesh. I already knew those things. My problem was is that I forgot who I was. I'm God's. He saved me. He redeemed me. I'm his. I should not be a slave any longer. And yet that's where it led. He saved me. I ran from there. I made sure that I was back in church on Sunday. I wish I could tell you that living the Christian life is easy. It's not. But it is good. And your Father in Heaven loves you. And there is no better place to be amongst His children and at His table. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your love for us and what You've done for us. I pray that You would help us to remember... We thank you, God, that you are so wise that you'd give to us these rituals that we might remember again when we have forgotten. I pray, God, even now that as we come to the table, that you would bless us, that you would sanctify us. And Lord, we would know that we belong to you. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.